Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. We're back in the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren, and my co-host today is John Copenhaver. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well. How are you, Al? I'm delicious. Hey, how was Good. the <laughs> So you got all moved and settled, and you're all happy. Yeah, yeah I am uh, in Virginia now, so thank God that's over. <laughs> wow, you can have ham. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Good ham. <laughs> Good ham of that other stuff in Washington. <laughs> hey, so um, now today we are talking to a uh, crime fiction writer. Um, we're going to be talking about his new book. Uh, it's called Watch Her, and uh, it's Edwin Hill. Thank you for being here, Edwin. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So, Edwin, um, you haven't been on the show before, so maybe for the listeners. Um, it looks like this is your third book. So uh, how did you get into writing? Oh my goodness. Well, it was a pretty long path for me to get into writing. Um, I, I, you know, I was a big reader when I was a kid. I always really loved to read. My parents would take us to the library and once a week and we'd get a big stack of books. Um, but I sort of discovered crime writing when I was probably maybe 10 or 11 years old. Um, we used to, my parents used to take us on these month long family camping trips and, um, we one day we stopped we were getting this yellow bronco and we just kind of drive drive across the country and one day we stopped at a gas station i was i was sort of in that time period between reading children's literature and reading adult literature where i didn't quite know what to read 
And um, back then you could still buy paperback books at gas stations. Um, and <laughs> my parents bought me a copy of an Agatha Christie novel called The Seven Dials Mystery. And um, oh, yeah. I read it and I loved it. I loved everything about it. It's one of, for anyone who hasn't read it, it's one of her earlier novels. Mm -hmm. um, it's set in the, you know, it's set in the twenties. It's, it's at a manor house. There's a character named Bundle. And um, <laughs> I loved everything about it. I loved the language. I loved the puzzle of it. Um, I loved all of the characters. And I finished it and I thought to myself, this is exactly what I want to do with my life, right? Crime fiction. And it only took me about 35 years to figure out how to do it. <laughs> so, well, yeah, but um, so what was the point that you actually started writing? And, and I guess it's really interesting to me, to me uh, to find a point where you feel confident enough to write a fiction book and feel it should be published. Yeah. I mean, I would say I spent a, my first book is called Little Comfort, and I spent a long, long time with it. Um, and I had a lot of false starts. I think that's very typical for writers. I mean, writer, writing is kind of a, it's, it's sort of nebulous. You think to yourself, can I do this? You, personally, I'm, I'm like full of self-doubt. So I had all sorts of self-doubt as I was doing it. Um, and I sort of treated it as a hobby for a, for a long time. I will say I did, go to, I did go and get my MFA, my master's in fine arts from Emerson College in creative writing. Um, so I did put some, some dedication to it. But I also, you know, I had a career, I had another job, I worked um, very hard at that job. But all, the whole time I was sort of always called by writing. And um, what really changed it for me though was in 2010, exactly 10 years ago, um, I got a new job. I had worked at one, I, I worked in publishing. I worked at one publishing house and I moved to the next publishing house. And I managed to negotiate a month off in between my jobs. And that changed, that actually changed my whole life that month off. Um, I'd always wanted to try writing a novel. I thought to myself, I'd heard of this NaNoWriMo thing. And it wasn't, I didn't do it during November, which is traditionally NaNoWriMo month. But I thought, you know, people say you can write a draft of a novel in a month. Why don't I just give that a try since I have this month off? So I, I applied the principles of NaNoWriMo and I wrote every day. I wrote, you know, about 1500 words a day. And at the end of the month, I had a really terrible first draft of a, of a novel. And, um, and you know, I, I had hoped that it would be better than it was and it wasn't. Um, and so then I spent, again, sort of treating it as a hobby. I spent the next two or three years working on it, mostly on the weekends. Once in a while, I'd get up in the morning and work on it too. And then at the end of three years, I was like, you know what, this is, this is not bad. Um, I showed it to a few people and um, then I started querying agents. And, uh, you know, I went from there. It, it, the, the story is much, much, much longer than, than what I'm telling right here and much more, more there were more challenges. Um, but those are the basic building blocks. Well, how do you find the the publishing world now? I mean, considering that there's um, so many self-published and then there's so many small publishings and then there's so many paid for, there's just so much stuff out there now. Um, it's a sea of publishing. Um, how did you feel about getting into the to being published by a publisher? Oh, well, I mean, I'll say this. I think there are lots of there are lots of paths to success available to people now, which is awesome. I mean, think about what, what the paths to publishing success used to be, and now you have many, many more that you can follow. And, you, and I always tell um, new authors, 
find the path that works for you. Um, and that might be self-publishing, that might be with a small press, it could be any, any number of, of paths. Um, I like working with a publisher. I work with, I, I like my editor. I like working with a publisher. I'm comfortable with the bookmaking process. And um, I like that my publisher handles some things that I wouldn't necessarily be good at. Um, and, and I rely on them to do those things. I think for people who um, are, are good at multitasking, good at managing large projects, um, and good at sort of pulling in resources from all over the place, um, publishing, self-publishing can be a really awesome option um, if, if that works out for you. Wow. So how do you come up with the um, idea uh, behind your mystery? So when, when, you're, when you're talking about a, um, this, it's a Hester Thursby mystery, um, and this is book three of three. So you've put a lot of time and thought into this. Um, so... I find this fascinating because I write true crime, so I, I'm kind of already know what I'm writing about. So how do you how do you get your um, characters to actually deal with a crime, and like how how does that all come together? Well, it's been different for every book. I'm working on I'm actually working on my fifth book right now. Um, again, with my first book, again I sat. No one is ever waiting for your first book, so you can sit with it forever and ever and ever. That one was, that was sort of inspired by a true crime story. Um, if you remember the Clark Rockefeller case here in Boston, uh, Clark Rockefeller was this guy who pretended to be a member of the Rockefeller clan. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. And um, it turned out he wasn't. Um, and when his story sort of un unraveled, he wound up going on the run with his young daughter. And that's when it became a national story. And during that time that he was on the run, it turned out uh, they connected him to another murder in California. And it turned out he, he was a German national. He'd been pretending to be different people for many years. So I read that and like a good crime novelist, I was like, oh, that, that might make a good story. And so if you read my first book, you'll see like, you'll see like the seeds of that story in there. It's, it's, not, it's not really based on Clark Rock, Rockefeller at all. Um, and from there, because I write a series, one of the nice things is that I have some recurring characters. And so I, I do have to, I have to pay attention to their storylines and where, like their emotional storylines. And so a lot of the stories will come out of where Hester, Hester has a longtime boyfriend named Morgan. A lot of the stories come out of where Hester and Morgan are, are with their relationship. Um, and then it, the, uh, the mystery is sort of not secondary to that, but it's a result of that. Um, right now, with this book that I just published, um, in the second book, I'd sort of put Hester and Morgan through a lot of emotional trials and tribulations. So I really wanted to make sure that they were in a ha in a happier place in this in this book, and that sort of drove a lot of the story as well. Yeah, because you have to be very careful then when you have reoccurring characters or people that are in the in several books. They it, it all you can't forget something that they might say or do in a previous book. Oh gosh, no! You know, if you watch TV shows from the seventies or eighties, you'll have characters that have a brother one season and then three <laughs> sisters the next season, and it's like like no one will put up with that anymore. You really yeah. have to you have to make sure that you you have to make sure that things line up. So that's that's one of the. I was just I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. You also make decisions in um, in your series that you sort of have to stick with. Uh, and I told there there's this one character. She's a very minor character, 
uh, that comes back here and there in the series. Her name's Carrie, C-A-R-Y. And when I first came up with her as a character, I was sort of being coy about whether she was a man or a woman. And she's obviously a woman. But um, now, whenever I use her in the story, I'm always annoyed with myself that I just didn't spell her name C-A-R-R-I-E so that it was clear and I didn't have to <laughs> make, that, make that obvious every time. I'm just That's wondering... So if you if you've got characters doing things in the first two books and then the third book comes up and you're writing about this mystery and because of something your character did in a previous book um you can't always have them fit um what you want them to do uh, so you 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 I guess what how do you deal with that do you bring in other characters to fill that spot or yeah, I mean, except for Hester and Morgan, Hester and Morgan, and and they have a they have a niece that they take care of named Kate. They, they're sort of they sort of have to be around. But besides the three of them, you know, I, I could always come up with a new character. There definitely is a cast of recurring characters in the series, and I like to use them. But if if they don't fit the bill, I, I'll definitely come up with someone else. So I'm oh, I'm sorry. No, you I, go I, for I, it. Go for it. Um, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm fascinated. I love amateur detectives and, uh, Hester is a, a great example of one. Like what, you know, why were you drawn to an amateur detective and like, what are some of the challenges with writing them? Oh, sure. You know, the, the <laughs> all this comes down to my first book because of course the first book turned into the series. When I first started the book, and again, I spent so many, 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 many years developing that first book. When I first conceived of the book, it was like an anti-hero book. The main characters were the, were the, uh, were the antagonists. Um, they were these two guys, they're serial killers. Their names are Sam Blaine and Gabe DiPersio. And I worked mm -hmm. on Sam, that novel that I wrote during that month that I had off, mm -hmm. Hesser wasn't even in the novel. Um, <laughs> I, I wrote you know, 50,000 words about these two guys. Um, and eventually, because I was sort of teaching myself how to do this as I was going along, I was like, eh, you know what, this book really needs a protagonist. And when I came up, when I decided that it needed a protagonist, I was like, well, I'm already writing about two guys. Um, so I don't want to write about three guys. So I'm going to make the protagonist a woman. That was like my entire decision-making process. <laughs> and now here I am on my third book about this, <laughs> this person. And so um, I came up with Hester. I sort of filled in her, her world. And um, I definitely wanted it to be an amateur sleuth. Um, mm -hmm. At first, the novel was going to be funnier, but you can't really write funny novels about serial killers. So it wound up, <laughs> the, first no the novels are, are on the darker side. Um, and the first novel is dark. Um, and so once I, once I realized it was going to be a darker novel, um, oh, at first she was going to be like a baker or something like that. But then once she became, it became darker, I was like, ah, let's do something else. So then I thought, why don't I make her a psychologist? So she was a psychologist for a little while. And then, but there are lots and lots of books with psychologists as the mm -hmm. protagonist. And I thought other people are doing that better than I'm going to be able to do it. And one day I was, I lived near Harvard at the time, Harvard. Uh, university and I was walking through campus and I came up on Widener Library which is the world's biggest research library and I thought to myself you know librarians are really curious people and they have <laughs> access to data they have access to information that not everyone has access to and they actually know what to do with the with the information they know where to pull it together and then how to analyze it and I thought mm -hmm. that would be kind of interesting for a 
amateur sleuth, and that so she became a librarian. And this yeah, all took like two years for me to get there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's never. Well, I mean, I guess it's good that it took you a while though, because now now you're uh, you're stuck with Hester. I mean, a good way stuck with Hester, but she's. Um, I think just I, I I love that choice of an amateur because there's just so much amateur detectives. I feel like have access to you know. Um, and, people in a different way that like you have in a police procedural or police procedures are always about going and interviewing people. There's, they're very direct in a lot of ways. Do you find, but also with an amateur detective, you've got to figure out a way for uh, the, the, the detective, the amateur detective character to, you know, investigate, I guess. And I mean, have you had challenges along lines of trying how to figure out those like how you get her into the middle of a mystery i guess is essentially what i'm asking yeah you know i think you 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 can run up into this thing where like how 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 many times can this be plausible and like why <laughs> why isn't why isn't the fbi investigating this character um so like the first one i think is easy because it's just like someone sure. stumbled upon a mystery um and i'm on my third book my second book it was very organic and the 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 missing case was actually very much related to Hester's own family without mm -hmm. giving much away. Um, mm -hmm. And then, so this third one, I, I, I did start to ask myself, how can I, how can I logically bring Hester into a, into a mystery? And um, she does have a, she does have a um, friend whose name is Angela White, who's appeared, appeared in all three of the uh, books. And, and Angela has a very major role in the third book. And I purposely did that because she's a detective. Uh, with the Boston Police Department. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to pair Hester with an actual law enforcement person mm -hmm. just to make it a little bit more plausible. Though the next one, I'm not working on a Hester Thursby book right now. I'm working on a standalone. The one that oh. the next Hester Thursby book, um, you know, it's back to being very amateur. It, it, uh, Angela will, Angela's always in the books, but she'll have a smaller role in that, in that book. Now, what, what made you want to do a standalone? Oh, I just thought it would be fun to explore. Um, you know, I, Hank Phillippe Ryan, who's another crime writer who you may have mm -hmm. heard of, she says this really well. When you write a standalone, like anyone can do anything. Um, like, so you can, you can kill off whoever you want. People can go from being bad to good or good to bad. When you write a series, you know, your Hester and Morgan, they kind of, they can never, they can't kill anyone. Um, right. And they, you know, they can't get killed. Um, so, you know, that does, it does limit you a little bit. So I just wanted the freedom of being able to do whatever I wanted. Yeah, that seems like a real challenge of the, uh, I mean, I, I love, I'm the standalone guy. So um, both in my writing and in my life. No, but like, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, I, I do, I, I think that's the limitation, right, of the series is that you do are locked into those characters, but that's also the joy of it too. So, oh, yeah. yeah Gosh, yeah. and it's really, I mean, I, it was funny to go back to sort of square one with the standalone. Because my last two books, well, I've written three, but my last two books, I've had like a lot of the characters, I already knew them really well. And with this book, I had to come up with all the characters from scratch, which was, um, you know, I had to flex my create, creative muscles a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So um, what do you, do you think that you will um, like continue to sort of weave in standalones with your series or are you sort of in that sort of exploring that? Um, phase of things? Um, I will probably do a mixture of both. I definitely like to, um, I've enjoyed this, this standalone and, uh, but I'm, I'm, I 
definitely am interested in getting back to this, uh, resolving a certain storyline that, that I, I left a little bit dangling at the end of the third mm-hmm. Hester Thursby book. Um, so people will definitely want to, um, that I, I definitely want to explore that. So where, where do you get your characters from? Like, do you draw from people you know, or is it just people you see in, in the street or in a coffee shop? Or um, how, how do you develop these characters? Um, I, tr- you know, I, a lot of them come, you know, all characters come from you, <laughs> even the most horrible ones, um, <laughs> especially the most horrible ones. So, you know, I'll, I'll pull certain things from myself for each of the characters. Um, but then I'll, I try not to base them on anyone. I try not to base them on, on people I know. I think, um, you know, I'll, maybe I'll pull a little, a little attribute from one person or here and there. Um, but, uh, you know, I just try and base them on, to be honest, the needs of the story um, and sort of what types of personality need to drive the story forward. Um, so, for example, in my current novel, which is called Watcher, um, I, all, my, all my novels so far have been told from multiple points of view, even though they're Hester Thursby novels. And this, this novel has four point of view characters. Um, one of the point of view characters is a woman named Maxine Polakowski, who runs a for-profit um, university. And, you know, I wanted her to be a, she's an executive at a large organization. And so I wanted her to be tough the way a, an executive at a large organization would be. Um, and someone who was forthright and someone who knew how to take charge. Um, so I drew on, you know, I, I was an executive at a large corporation too. So I did draw some of that uh, from myself, but I also thought about like, what are the qualities that, that you need in, in a character like that? And especially she's a woman, I'm a man. Like what does a woman need when they're in a, in a position like that that a man doesn't necessarily need? But when I developed her, I also did some things that um, made, made my life easier. I made, a, I made the two characters, I made her character and myself the exact same age. And so whenever, which is helpful because um, the experiences that you have are very specific to how old you are. And so when you're trying to develop a character and, and you don't have to think about things like that, it just makes it a lot easier. So how do you feel about your characters? I ask that because a lot of the crime fiction people um, we talk to um, seem to have a real affection for their characters, like their, their children or something. What's your relationship like? Oh, I always love my characters. I love I love the good ones and I love the bad ones. Um, I really, I, Hester and Morgan are really um, like are two of my buddies at this point, and I've put them through a lot. And I, I was really happy with uh, the way this book came out. That uh, there there was a um, there was some happiness in there that I hadn't I hadn't touched on before with that with that couple, and it was nice to be able to bring them there. Um, I really love, I mean, people talk about how characters take over the novel and stuff like that. Um, I like it when a minor character will sort of pop off the page, even if they stay as a minor character, um, uh, but they become a tool that you, that that character becomes a tool that you you can really use to tell that story. And sometimes you'll have a minor character show up in one scene um, and you realize that there's that character just has a more important role that you didn't realize. I wrote a I wrote an unpublished manuscript that I'm sitting on right now. And there was one character that I really liked in it um, who came out of necessity. 
um, her, uh, there was a guy in the, in the novel going to a party and I thought to myself, well, he's probably not going to the party by himself. He probably has a date. So I just invented this date for him, this guy, woman named um, Alice. And then Alice started sort of taking on this little life of her own as I was writing the novel. And she wound up, she didn't wind up being a main character. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. But she did wind up reappearing, I think maybe four other times during the novel. And they were really pivotal times in the novel. And I felt like the character was strong enough so that when she did reappear after having been absent from the page for a long time, that the reader would be able to remember who she was, which was also really helpful. I was just wondering now, so when you're writing um, a book, um, when things are going on, like let's say 2020 and um, a lot of the tension and um, the COVID and, you know, just all of the stuff going on, um, does that seep into the way you write? Like, I know it's not what you're writing about, but just the overall stress and, and, and things like that going on around you in the world, does it make you kind of go darker? 
well, my my novels are already pretty dark. <laughs> um, so I would say, it. I mean, this has been such a strange year to write. Um, so I handed in the novel that's about to publish. I handed that in in February to my editor. He got me back edits maybe a month later. And then by then the world had shut down. And then I was working on my copy edits um, in the middle of May and asking myself, do I need to incorporate this new world into this novel that's about to publish? So I did, like, as I was going through my copy edits, I was, tr I was just trying to see whether I needed to change anything. And ultimately I decided I didn't want to um, because, you know, I, I think many people believe this. I feel this way. I kind of want to live in a world where we go to parties and go to bars and stuff. Um, but I also had this weird creative burst at, like right around that time. And I, I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot and I wrote a lot of what I, I think is pretty good writing. Um, then I started the novel I'm working on right now. And that novel has been more challenging. I've just been, um, uh, I, you know, I just, I haven't been stuck creatively. I just feel like I'm moving a lot slower creatively than I have before. Um, so I, I don't know. I'll, I'll be curious when I finish this novel, when I look, I, I'm going to like keep your question in mind when I finish this novel and read it through and just see how, how the, the, the mentality that I'm in right now, how it infects the, how it, how it um, affects the, the, the prose. Yeah, because I find personally that it did slow me down and it did affect my my work. Uh, and there's some people we've talked to that have um, completely shut down and mm -hmm. then others that have just been totally loving it. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I've definitely slowed me way down. It's it's just been so much interference. Um, it's like the humming anxiety behind it does for me personally take away. You know, so it's interesting. A lot of people have said similar kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I think because it's unresolved. I think yeah. it's not like it's just a bomb went off or nine eleven or something happened and then you build mm -hmm. back. This is something that people. I I don't feel like it's been resolved, especially with the election, and the never ending drama and not having a, a confident, solid outcome of anything. You know, in this this year so I don't 2020 know. is going to be no, no one is ever going to forget 2020 <laughs> no way <laughs> well i mean I, I hope not because i would hate to see um the u.s go through this again in yeah. 20 30 years the same yeah. similar sort of behaviors <laughs> where you've got you know anti-maskers and you've got all this weird stuff going on and conspiracies and you're you're hoping that it never gets this bad again where it's so um divided i guess is the word you know it's kind of yeah. crazy but yeah um so what's your advice to new writers oh be perseverant uh persevere i mean just and and uh i have a i have a lot of pieces of advice but when it really comes down to to it believe in yourself and keep moving forward um and you know also find a group of people that you can rely on mm -hmm. yeah Click your heels three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I, you know, um, so that that's fascinating. So is there an, this is kind of a, an unusual question, but I like with, with, with crime writers, is there an underlying 
theme or thing that you want someone to get out of reading one of your books besides the story, besides the main story of the crime and something like that. But when they walk away, is there something you want them to be thinking about? Oh, well, my, my books are all about family and, um, I mean, they're, I mean, this doesn't sound dark at all, but my, my books are all about family and what, what family means and, and what it means to have a family and, uh, who, who are the members of those, that family. Hester and Morgan, our central characters, are, um, they're, they're sort of reluctant misanthropes, I think. And um, so they, they sort of present as people who, are, uh, uh, who push people away. But as, you'll, as the series evolves, you see that what they do is they're constantly expanding their circle and they're constantly welcoming pe- broke, broken people into their lives and helping them, helping them um, move forward with their lives. Uh, so Hester, Hester invites more people. Morgan's a veterinarian, so he's always bringing animals into the house too. And so their circle mm-hmm. is constantly expanding and, and their family is constantly expanding as well. Wow. So it's kind of just, it, it, it's more of a family, family orientated murder. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's about community and family and <laughs> family and what it means to, what it means to belong to a group of people. Yeah. While murder is happening in the background, wow. <laughs> right. you so you're, so you're saying <laughs> you're saying to have a good family, you have to have a good murder in the background. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, a good Thanksgiving, everyone's killing. <laughs> oh, that's that's uh, that's great. Um, so, where do you see yourself in ten years? Just doing the same? Oh gosh, well, I hope so. I mean, I hope that I'm a multimillionaire in ten years. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, I, I love writing. I love writing. I, I, you know, I don't think the novel is going anywhere and I don't think the book is going anywhere, our original technology. Um, and so, you know, storytelling, I think, is here to stay. I hope I can evolve as a storyteller as our, as our world and our societies evolve. And um, yeah, so 10 years, I hope I've got 10 more books published. Yeah. So other than Agatha Christie, who, who do you like? Who's your big influences or what influences you when you're writing? Um, well, I always start with uh, there's one book that really helped change my life. I was and it's a novel. I was when I I'd, I'd written another novel a long time ago. I got an agent for it. It didn't sell. It was very depressing. And so I gave up writing for about 10 years. And uh, in about 2000, right before I, right before I got that month off, um, I read Case Histories by Kate Atkinson, which is a mystery novel. And um, it was really, really important for me because that book is, does exactly what I try to do with my own uh, novels. It's very character driven. Um, it's an amateur sleuth, but it's, uh, it's, it's funny and yet dark at the same time. Um, I think she does it. 50 million times better than I do. But I, I always try to write sort of in that same style. And I read that book and I thought to myself, oh, this author is doing exactly what I would like to do if I were to write a novel. Certainly I can try that and, and accomplish it. And just being able to see that, that Kate Atkinson could do that was, was really important to me. So I've always, I've read, I've read all of those uh, Jackson Brody mysteries. Uh, there, I think there are five of them now. Um, I think they're all wonderful. I also really like um, uh, Tana French, who writes a mm-hmm. series in um, set in Dublin. I think she's American, but she, the series is set in Dublin. And I really, those are procedurals, but I, I love, they're also very character-based. Um, they're linked 
like each novel is linked to the next novel, but they use a whole, she uses different sets of characters in each of them, uh, which I think is really clever. And I think she just creates a really interesting world uh, set in Dublin. I also love Laura Lippman a lot. I like that she moves yeah. between, um, I like that she moves between series work and standalone, standalone. And I love the way she uses Baltimore as a character in her, in her novels. And I love all of her characters in all of her novels. I think she does, mm. she just creates really interesting worlds. And my last um, big name influence would be uh, Louise Penny, who writes a series set in Southern Quebec for people who don't know. It's also, um, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's got cozy aspects to it, but it's, it's actually a pretty dark series. And um, I love the way she creates community in there. That's highly influential in my books as well. That's interesting, you know, and I talked to um, Carol Poe, C.S. Poe. Um, we talked about um, a city being a character or a town. Um, do you find that real important in your books to, to, to make it its own character without speaking? Yeah, I mean, I, my, my books are set in New England. I live in Boston. Hester and Morgan live in Somerville, which is a town right next door to Boston. And um, I use all of New England in the series. So in the first book, the action takes place in um, Beacon Hill, which is a neighborhood in Boston. And then a lot of the action takes place in New Hampshire, out in the wilds of um, New Hampshire near the, near the Lake District there. The second book takes place in Somerville, but the most of the action takes place on an island off the coast of Maine. And then this third book takes place here in Boston in a neighborhood called Jamaica Plain. And what I really like about New England is that you have a very varied landscape in, in kind of a, a small area. You can go from the ocean to the mountains. You can go from the city to very rural um, relatively quickly. Um, and you can also use the seasons, obviously. You know, we have um, very defined seasons here in New England, so I like to use that as well. Um, and each, each, each of the novels has, has exploited uh, the landscape here, definitely. Well, I think, it's, I, I think it's important in the book, don't you? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what do you, have, you ever, have you ever looked back at your very first books or very first writings and kind of cringed? Or how do you feel about them if you do? Well, I will tell you this story. So I have this novel that I wrote 20 years ago. Uh, it came out of my MFA program and I got an agent for it. It didn't sell. Super bummer. <laughs> uh, and then, so I was, I was getting started on my third book, the one that just came out. And I thought, well, why don't I dust off that novel that didn't sell and see if I can do something with it quickly. So I pulled it up. I read about 10 pages. I closed the document. And I said, There's a reason why that didn't sell. <laughs> yeah, but do, but do you think that's kind of a natural thing to go back to? Like, uh, like, I think what I'm getting at is each book you do, doesn't it get a little better just in itself? Because Well, writing is a skill, so yeah. any skill you're going to improve at. Um, I mean, I think each of my books did things, each of my, I, there are things that I really like about each of my books and um, there are probably things I would have improved. But the thing about it is you just got to keep moving forward because once they hit uh, print at the, at the public, at the uh, printer, the book is out there. You'd never go back and rewrite a book or, or do a new edition of it? No, I don't think so. Hmm. Now, now, so the big thing, when you get, when you get reviews, ratings, 
from people? Do you, do you, how do you feel about them? Do they influence you? Are you paying attention to them? What do you think? Um, I, I mean, I, I like, I try not to read reviews, to be honest, and I always read them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, a, you know, it's, that's being honest. I think that yep. some people and, really don't. And I would, uh, what I would say is I think that sometimes you can get good points out of them. Uh, I try to focus, I mean, I, I try to be a mostly positive person. So I try to focus in on the positives and what people like about things. One example of that would be uh, Angela White, which is a character who's in all three of my books. She appeared in the first book just by necessity. She sort of popped up about two thirds of the way through the first book because there was a murder and I needed a detective to investigate it. Um, and so she's in like three or four scenes in that novel. And readers who talked to me about the book, like loved her. They were like, oh, Angela White's such a great character. So I brought her back in the second book. Um, I sort of wove a storyline in there for her. And, um, but it was still sort of a minor character. Uh, and again, people really liked her as a character. So I thought when I wrote my third book, why don't I listen to those readers and like bring her to the forefront of that novel? So that was really good. Um, you know, and you can, uh, obviously you can listen to, you, you can hear thing, hear what people are saying and see if you can respond to them in the, in future books. And that, that's what anyone would do with any, uh, you know, with any job, you want to listen to what people are saying and see if you can improve. Well, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about some of those Goodreads reviews. I'm like, okay, no, no, no. I, I you know, there's a, it, it's funny. Like I, I, uh, there's there's helpful reviews and then there's reviews which are just um i don't know distracting i guess would be the best word hurtful would be (laughs) (laughs) you're like well i don't know i mean usually i just find the the bad the really ridiculous bad ones really silly and kind of in fact sometimes funny um but you know it's always hard it's always hard to get the feedback Uh, but important i guess if it's serious if it's if it's serious feedback yeah, I I would I would totally agree with you. I mean, honestly, people in this day and age, everyone's a critic, and so <laughs> yeah. that's the that's the world that we live in. And I, you know, I just can't let. What, who is it? Is it Taylor Swift that says haters? What does she say? Haters gonna hate. Yeah. Haters gonna hate. Yeah, haters gonna, gonna hate. hate. <laughs> that's what I have to say. Haters gonna hate. I, I, you know, if you look at someone and. You know, they have an average review rating of, of 1.2 stars. You know, that tells you something about what they're doing with their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's it's how people can can be that way. Um, but it's just something. Is it important if another writer recognizes you? Oh, like recognizes my writing? Yeah. If, if another writer actually gives you a good review or says oh, something good about you, it, it, do, do you look for that? But do you, does that kind of give you some sort of extra boost? I I do like it. I mean, like anytime anyone says anything about me, I have to tell you, I like it. So anything, anyone, anytime someone says something nice about me. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you're, you're asking for it. We're all human. I, I try, I will say this. I try to be um, really level-headed about um, feedback. I was, I worked in editorial. You have to understand this. I worked in editorial for 20 years. I worked for a publisher for 20 years. And write, the writing process is one where I think of it as very collaborative. Um, you have your team of people who you trust um, to, to give you good feedback. You have your team of people that you trust to 
help you push a product forward. And I guess I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is I try to pull these, even the, even like the nastiest Goodread review, I try to pull that into that whole editorial process. I can read something that's very nasty and discount the parts that I don't need to listen to. And I try to pay attention to the parts that I should listen to. Um, and that's, you know, that's just trying to have a thick skin. And of course I fail at this all the time, but <laughs> I try as much as I can to do that. Well, the editor does that too. If you have a good editor, they, they'll challenge you on a lot of things and um, make you realize things. Because, I mean, a good editor just wants a better book, right? That's absolutely right. That's what we all want. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's probably a key thing. You know, even for people self-publishing, they need to find a good editor up there. Oh, abs oh gosh. If you're self-publishing... Absolutely. The uh, number one thing, number two, number one thing is you need a, a great editor. You need someone that you can really bounce ideas off of and who will tell you when the thing, when you're writing isn't working as well as when it is working. Yeah, that's important. Really important, yeah. you know. So um, let's see. Oh, anybody you want to work with? Anybody you'd like to co-write a book with? Oh my goodness! I'd like to work with any of those people that I mentioned when I was um, <laughs> talking about my <laughs> big influences. I, I don't know. I wonder what it would. I I don't know what it would be like to co-write a book. I think it'd be a really interesting experience. Um, mm -hmm. My writing process is so messy. I think I might drive someone crazy. Um, but you know, I'd be I'd be open to trying something like that. It also depends. I'll tell you, for, for me, one of my first books I wrote with a, um, Peter Vronsky, a doctor, and he's um, well known in, in the in the crime business. And so I felt a little bit um, intimidated. Mm -hmm. So I think it depends also on your positioning, like where you're coming from at the time. Mm -hmm. when you're writing together. And if you really, really like a person's writing, it makes you feel a little bit intimidated. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can see that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it, it's an interesting process. But I, I yeah, it's one, you have to definitely be comfortable with it. Um, yeah. No, I, I, that is an interesting question. No one has asked that before. Um, but yeah. I, that, it'd be an interesting process to go through. I would think yeah. because especially in crime fiction, because in 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 crime fiction, you guys are creating the characters that are doing things. So you, you're writing a story with someone else that uh, their characters, they, their ideas of a character might be different than yours. Like, so I would think that would be really um, I don't know. That would be. Um, I, I don't know how you do that. I think you'd have to have some sort of good chemistry like. I mean, I think it would be very hard. I don't know if you agree with this, Edwin. Very hard to co-author someone that had values that were a little different or sensibilities that were too different from your own. Wouldn't that just be? Wouldn't that just be really difficult? I would just think it would be really hard. <laughs> well, I think you'd probably have to come to turn. You'd have to come to terms yeah. with that early on, especially. Yeah. You know, depending on the topic or the characters that you're developing, you'd definitely have to figure out figure that out before you even yeah start in yeah well you know john i guess you're not going to be writing with donald trump in the future eh? <laughs> <laughs> no well you know but um i don't think so <laughs> gregory ash and and carol poe wrote together yeah. but they mm -hmm. they kind of did it unique right the way they both had 
their own characters and then they interplayed them sort of mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than stepping on toes they worked together so it was an interesting they, they actually worked in the same google document which i thought was fascinating like that would be you know yeah. Yeah. I, I mean i've done through my teaching work a lot of collaboration through google but to sit down and do something creative sounds you know <laughs> i just yeah. I, I was very impressed to, to learn that yeah and 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 they did a good job so you know yeah it's, oh it's yeah. crazy crazy um okay edwin so now um do you have a website or a place that you'd like people to come and find you and find out more about you yeah you can come to my website i'm at edwin-hill.com and you know i'm on facebook and instagram and what is the other one twitter you can find me at edwin hill author at all three of those things um and yeah i love to hear from writers uh from uh readers and writers so feel free to drop me a note well great you know we're going to have that up on our website so people listening can one click and they'll find you and and by all means stalk them give them bad reviews do it all <laughs> he's, he's I don't o- give bad reviews. <laughs> he's, he's open to everything. He's really he really wants to hear from everybody. Just get on there and flood that uh website. Absolutely. Well, our guest today has been the crime fiction author Edwin Hill. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was great talking with both of you. Thanks, Edwin. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.